Well, when we last left Paul and his uh, trip to Rome, we found that he was aboard a uh, chartered ship in the Mediterranean Sea, headed west towards Rome, and they were having a little bit of difficulty with the weather, and they were at the point of sailing by the, uh, the isle, which is really a large island of Crete, and they had gotten to the eastern side and decided, well, it would be better to winter on the western side. And so they waited for a little break in the weather and said, okay, this is, this is good. All right, The wind is in our favor, and so we think that we can make the trip along the bottom of the, of the island from one side to the other. If you were to look at your map, you'd realize it's, it's probably not just a short trip um, by, by car, <laughs> uh, not in terms of nautical miles, but uh, as the crow flies anyway, probably around 125, 130 miles. So not a short trip um, by uh, seafaring voyage, plus they're trying to stay far enough away from the island that they don't get caught up into the shoals and the quicksand and things like that, but not too far off that they're losing the benefit of the the break that the island gives to them from some of the harsher waves and things like that. With all the experience, all the wisdom of, of, of nautical years as sailors and captains and so forth, uh, they still run into an unexpected storm. Unexpected from their perspective, but again, as we know, not un- un- unexpected as far as God is concerned. Uh, God is the God of the weather and he plans exactly what is going to happen in every given point of time in that regard. So things get a little bit uh, precarious, we might say, for the people aboard this ship. And they are getting rather desperate even. Uh, even though they are seasoned with how to handle things in the midst of storms, they've done pretty much everything that they can know to do. They've lightened the load of cargo. They have even undergirded the the hull of the ship with extra strong ropes or chains. And even with all this, they still feel that uh, their chances of surviving this this storm and not being shoved against the the rocks and embedded in the quicksand and and just being pummeled to death, uh, they think that that's probably a high likelihood. And yet Paul has a very different perspective. Paul has been on ships, but he definitely isn't someone that we would call an experienced seaman. And yet, his perspective is very different than everybody else on board. And we touched on this a little bit, but I want to spend just a little bit more time on this thought as far as how Paul's faith was infectious for others around him. I want to begin reading in Acts chapter 27 and beginning at verse 21. And just read down through verse 25 of that particular part of the narrative. And if you're able, let me invite you to stand out of respect for the Word of God. Follow along in your Bibles as I read this passage out loud. But after long abstinence, Paul stood forth in the midst of them, talking about the seamen, and said, Sirs, you should have hearkened unto me and not have loosed from Crete and have gained this harm and loss. And now I exhort you to be of good cheer, 
For there shall be no loss of any man's life among you, but of the ship. For there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve, saying, Fear not, Paul, thou must be brought before Caesar, and lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. And then I love this verse where he turns to him and says, Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God that it shall be even as it was told me. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. You can be seated. I'm sure there were some people that thought Paul was a little bit insane, a little bit off his rocker, speaking out of school to say the least. And yet there were those that were definitely comforted by what Paul had to say. They, they do listen. They do respond to what Paul has to say. Uh, after they realized that their former action didn't really result in the, the desired results that they were hoping for. And what we find in this text is a relating of how God often uses His children, believers, in whom the Spirit of God dwells, where faith flourishes much like a, a blossom on a flower, and brings a certain influence upon those around us, whether they be children of God or not. In Genesis chapter 39 and verse 5, we read that the Lord blessed the household of a man by the name of Potiphar. He was an Egyptian. And the reason he was blessed was he had just brought in a household uh, servant by the name of Joseph, a Hebrew. Didn't have a lot of respect for him probably at that point, but in time, Joseph was promoted to being the household manager. In fact, the Bible tells us that it came a point that Potiphar really didn't even know what was going on in his own house because he had such implicit trust in this young man. Perhaps more importantly was the idea that his master's life went much better just because Joseph was in his life. Not a safe man that we know of, not a believer in the one true God, but nonetheless, God blessed this man's life because of Joseph. You know, is that true of people in our lives? Are there people where we work, people in our neighborhoods, people that we may be involved in some sort of community activity with, and they may not know our Lord. They may not be redeemed. They may not know the saving grace of, of God through Jesus Christ our Lord. They may not have experienced that as of yet. But is there a sense in which just their, the influence of you in their life, that their life is improved, that there's something notable? They may not be able to put their hand on it, exactly what it is, but they are able to say, I know it has something to do with this person this individual that seems to be a God-fearing man or woman. It may seem that what a man believes to some is of no concern to anybody else. People get almost offensive sometimes, don't they, when they start talking about you know, your religion and what you believe. And, well, that's your own business, they might say. That's his own affair and his alone. Let a man be honest, let him be industrious and straight, 
And then, as far as they're concerned, it doesn't really matter what kind of, of creed, belief system that he might have. Others are not the better for his faith, they would argue, nor are they worse for his lack of faith. It's just, that's, if that works for you, great, you know, but that's of no consequence to me. One hears frequently the expression of that view, and sometimes people will even pull a verse of Scripture out of context, mind you, as people are classic to do sometimes, as if to say, well, this, this is what the good book says. For instance, in Romans 14, 22, Hast thou faith? The question is given. Have it to thyself, is the response. See, someone might say, you know, you got faith, that's good for you, but just keep it to yourself. I don't need any of what you've got, they might argue. Putting up their defenses, almost like they're afraid of, of catching our faith, like they're afraid of catching COVID-19. <laughs> Sad that people have that response. Why would people have that response? It shows the, the militant rebellion of the human heart against the God who created them. It shows a gross lack of understanding of God's goodness and wanting to redeem their soul for all eternity. Yet, that is not what the text is talking about at all. It's talking about how as Christians, if we have faith to in, engage in certain activities that you know, the Bible doesn't expressly forbid, but yet it might be bothersome to another individual to see us engaged in that, then you know, don't go out berating other people because they don't have the similar faith and confidence to engage in an activity, keep that to yourself. But it's not in any way expressing, don't share your testimony of how you came to know Christ as your Savior. That would be a contradiction of so many other passages of Scripture where we're supposed to let the redeemed of the Lord say so, open and unapologetically. As a matter of fact, what a man believes does does have a profound and pervasive social consequence. It does make a difference. It affects the lives of all that he comes in contact with. It either inspires or it depresses them. It's either a sweet savor of life unto life, or it's a disgusting aroma of death unto death. It depends on whether they are being saved or being lost. But all of this, I believe, is beautifully illustrated in the narrative that we're looking at today of the shipwreck of Paul, the shipwreck that is in the process of happening. And perhaps here, better than almost any other place of Scripture. And so the question before us is, does our faith in Christ make the lives of those around us better? Does our faith in Christ make the lives of those around us better? Not in the sense that they can somehow ride in on our coattails of faith into heaven. We know that that's not possible. But is it a taste? Is it an awakening of their souls and a stirring of their souls by what they see in us, Christ in us, our hope of glory, that helps begin to bring to light in their own souls, their own need for, for hope eternal. Here in Acts 27, we find Paul in his journey to Rome to make his appeal to Caesar. And in this narrative, 
we can see several principles that point to the influence of the believer's faith upon those that are close to him. What are these principles? Well, the first one's what I call doing and being. Doing and being. We note, for instance, how the faith of Paul made him intensely and practically useful. Paul's not just saying, well, I'll just go down into the hole of the ship and have a prayer meeting for you guys. No, he, he doesn't just say, be warmed and filled, but he actually gives them what they have need of, as the Bible tells us. They have need of advice. They have need of guidance. They have need of encouragement. That's what they need. And Paul is on hand by the direction of the Holy Spirit to give them precisely that. He is doing something. He is being something. Paul had tried to convince the crew earlier of how they should handle the journey. If you glance back at verse 11, you can see that the, the Roman centurion on board the ship, he believed the master and the owner of the ship more than those things which were spoken of by Paul. Paul was a lone voice at that moment. And we also saw previously... In verse 21, how Paul stood forth in the midst of them and says, Sirs, ye should have hearkened unto me. And this is sort of an I told you so. But it's not to bolster his reputation in a vain pride. <laughs> you know, next time you guys will know better, right? But it's simply to establish his authority and his discernment under the hand of God. Uh, this is why. You should have listened to me because I was listening to God. You know, we could well imagine somebody enlarging on the compelling preaching of Paul. Oh, what a what a fabulous preacher that Paul is. But quite certain that in storm and shipwreck, he would have been altogether useless. In other words, the sailors like, what are we going to do? We've exhausted all of our options. Is there anybody else we can talk to? Nobody thought, let's go get that missionary. I bet he has some good opinions for us. No, that wouldn't have been the way they thought. And yet, in such an hour as this, when things were dark, as Paul was the most useful man on board, and he was so, why? For one fact and one alone, because he believed in God. And that's what people need more than anything else. They need individuals around them that really, truly, into the deepest recesses of our heart, believe and trust in God. Not just in a superficial way, not just with lip service, parroting what we've heard, but it can come out as if it seeps through the very pores of our soul that we believe in God. You know, the same thing is profoundly true of Jesus as he ministered as human and God simultaneously here on earth. He lived a perfect life. He lived a life that was unwavering in faith. That did not make him an ineffectual dreamer. Oh, you know, that Jesus, he's just the, you know, the optimist. He's just that Pollyanna, so to speak. No. What it did was it made him intense, intensely and socially useful. What the culture, what the world needed more than anything else was Jesus. It filled for him as he walked about and served with those disciples 
What did it do for them on a practical basis? It filled the nets of fishermen that were at their wits' ends. It fed the hungry folk. It healed the sick. That's what Christ's life of practical faith was all about. He restored the withered arm to service. He brought joy and singing to the home at Bethany when it originally started out as a funeral service for a lost brother. And what is this all about? Yes, it is the Son of God, but he demonstrated a path for us to follow, and that is that the just shall live by what? Faith. We do not become an authority on all matters simply because we are people that have faith in Christ. The moment you become born again, you don't immediately acquire all the knowledge to fix every vehicle that ever breaks down, to know how to solve every plumbing problem, to diagnose the problems on the, the Airbus that's sitting on the tarmac unable to move. No, we, the Lord doesn't work that way, we understand. But as God speaks through His faithful children, we are at those moments the most essential to the best outcomes of those that are involved in those events. God has a role for us. So, dear Christian, be faithful so that God might speak and work through you for the glory of His name, not for us. Not that people will, oh, wow, you're wonderful, I'll pat you on the back. Also, we need to be discerning of God's placing such counselors in our own path. We won't always be the one that God chooses in those moments to, to be the one who is, is doing the leading. Be not many masters. Be swift to hear and slow to speak, the Bible reminds us. And, and so, are we ready to receive those others that are brothers and sisters in Christ that God might work through at those moments? And do we have the discernment to say, yes, I need to receive what that person is sharing. Do not allow foolish pride to fail you, to keep you from benefiting from God's wisdom that's being poured out through another individual. So there is an issue of, of doing what God wants us to do and being what God wants us to be. Paul understood that. Secondly, we see a principle of Paul's faith that brought hope to all that were on board. It, it was almost like maybe a little mini-revival, at least in its early stages. We don't know if this resulted in many people coming to believe in Jesus Christ, but it certainly arrested their attention. It certainly had a calming effect. And we, we do help people by what we do. Perhaps we help them more by what we are. Those two things cannot be divorced and separated from one another. We prove ourselves useful when we give our money. That's true. We're still more useful when we give ourselves. So easy to whip out our purses and wallets and say, here. And sometimes there is a need for that. People's tangible needs sometimes require material help. 
But I like when there was a need among the, the Jews in Jerusalem and Paul alerted sister churches across the empire of Rome, one of them being in Corinth, miles away from Jerusalem, about the need of their brothers and sisters in Christ in that community. And Paul later writes to the believers in Corinth in 2 Corinthians 8, 5, and he says, And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. Wow, what a testimony. Yes, they opened up their purses and their pocketbooks and their wallets and they gave. But before they did that, they were down on their knees. They were saying, Lord, before I give you a dollar, I give you myself. That's what God wants more than anything else. And honestly, if God has us, then he's got our wallet, doesn't he? He's got the direction of where our funds will go. Like these believers that Paul mentions to the, the people in Corinth, when we operate in full faith, we expand the situation before us into greater possibilities. What more can we do? How else can we be a blessing? The need seemed to be a financial offering, but they rightly expanded to complete surrender of themselves. It's the behavior in the believer that brings hope to those around us. As I think on this point, I'm reminded of certain needs during this this pandemic, one that is very close to our hearts here at Anchor Baptist Church, is a ministry that we have joyfully supported for many, many years, and that is a Christian camp that's just 45 minutes north of us here called the Anchorage Camp. And yet, though the needs financially have been great because the income through normal channels have been almost nothing for the camp, unable to have camp and conferences and retreats. The Lord has done exceedingly abundantly above all that they can ask or think. And yet that camp is situated in the midst of homes and residents all along this beautiful lake, Lake Waccamaw, many of which these people certainly must not know Christ as their Savior. Just simply by the basic proportions that Jesus gives us, that on the road of life, there are many that are on the broad path that doesn't lead to life everlasting, and there's only a few that are on the narrow road. And what a testimony, I imagine, it must be that God upholds this, this struggling camp, so to speak, but to not struggle, but to glimmer and to sus be sustained. Why? Because... They follow and serve and worship the God that supplies all our needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. What a testimony that must be to those around them in the community. You know, we note again how the faith of the Apostle Paul brought new hope to everyone on board. These despairing souls were saved by hope. They didn't cast themselves overboard. They didn't take the little dinghies that they had considered and contemplated and almost tried to escape in, but it would have been to their own demise had they done so. No, it was only because of the hope instilled by God through this one man and this man's obedience to be very vocal about his faith. 
One moment there was not a star in all the sky. They were drifting on certain death. The best of them would be crying to their false gods. The worst would be def- by default be cursing and blaspheming in a vain way. And then, like the first faint flushing of the dawn, hope came stealing into every heart because there was one man on board who was totally convinced that God was in control of the situation. They were still drifting onto the shore. Their ship was a sport and plaything for the elements. Nothing had changed as far as the elements around them. It was not as the story where Jesus is on the Sea of Galilee and he speaks, peace be still, and immediately there is this noticeable change in everything. No, God didn't work that way in this way. But still, one man believed God, and because of that life, there was more radiant and sereneness in the hearts of people, regardless of what their belief system was. You know, what does it matter what you believe? Some might say, is faith entirely devoid of social impact? It mattered supremely for these despairing sailors. As they often say, you know, everybody gets religion during a tragedy. People are made more sober. The heart is shown to be frail. Truthfully, it matters every time. Have faith in God, dear Christian friend. Have it for yourself. Be quiet and strong and confident because of that faith. And everybody around you will be affected because they will see that while they are on a ship that is being tossed about, something is mooring your very soul to the anchor of the rock of Jesus Christ. There's a third principle I see here, and that is that faith radiates an atmosphere of hope. When we have faith, there's just it's like a beacon, kind of like a, a, a beam of light from a lighthouse. For that is always one of the first fruits of faith. The presence of a strong and living faith calls out the music that's tucked away in the hearts of despairing people. It's there. They, they want to be lively. They want to have hope and be encouraged. But it is often takes the faith of believers that draws that out. There could be a son who is a a prodigal, living in the world, breaking the heart of parents. Everybody may think that he is beyond redemption, but then there's that mother. (laughs) Praise God for these God-fearing mothers who never lose faith. That mother that never thinks him past redemption. Regardless of of what she becomes aware of that he's done. Nor how much time has passed since she uttered her first prayer that the Lord would redeem her son's soul. Why? Because her faith in her persevering God and her maternal heart will not lose hold. And there's hope. And when we're around a person like that, there's something that revitalizes us. We see that kind of faith in God. Because of the faith in the heart of the Lord Jesus Christ Himself, hope was dawned on people who, like these shipwrecked sailors, were despairing. You know, Jesus came in just the fullness of time, the Bible tells us. 
the Jewish brothers that he came to redeem. They were despairing. There had been many false counterfeit messiahs that had shown up on the scene. Why? Because the climate was perfect for that. People were looking for someone to pull them out from underneath Romans' oppression. And yet Jesus came to give them a liberty that far exceeded any kind of freedom that they could have ever imagined. It's like sowing grass on parched and arid land. And in all our weakness, one sure way to do so is the sweet way of Jesus. How He cast the seeds of truth through His preaching and teaching ministry. Just as Paul does it here, by example. We need to have faith in God. We may not see that seed germinate. It falls on all different kinds of soils of men's hearts. But there is that heart that will receive the seed that God is working in. It will bring forth much fruit. We need to live out our storms in faith in God. We need to not join in and despair along with those around us. We ought to look drastically different in the midst of COVID-19 than anyone else. If there's a downturn in the economy, we ought to look drastically different than anybody else. If there's a different outcome than everybody's hoping in an upcoming election, we ought to look drastically different than anyone else. Why? Because our faith is founded in Christ. So be strong. Be quiet with regard to your complaints when others cry out in terror. In mysterious ways that we cannot trace, hope will draw upon the hearts of men, and God will use it to draw those to Himself who shall ultimately be saved. It's a wonderful way in which we see that we're simply utensils in the hand of God. You will produce a bit of heaven's atmosphere, and others will taste and see that God is good. And is that atmosphere being produced in your life? Or are we finding ourselves equally guilty of complaining and despairing? Or just saying, you know what? God has something wonderful in mind. Oh, I've had to rebuke my own heart for sometimes allowing things to come out of my lips where I realize, you know, that was not the testimony of faith in God. Another principle we learn from this text is that Paul's faith brought good cheer to others. Not only did the faith of Paul give hope, it also gave the blessing of good cheer. It brought the comfort of a happy confidence to every desponding heart on board. I remember reading an account at, at some point. I remember the details that there was an ocean liner, a modern-day ocean liner, it was caught in the fury of a terrific storm. Men were panic-stricken. Women were screaming. And then the captain just smiled. He just smiled. And the faith that lay behind that smile is the leader, the one in charge of that seagoing vessel. But the ship he knew so well could weather through this. Brought good cheer to every soul on board. Perhaps you remember being 
on a flight the first time that there was great turbulence. And then there would just be the soothing voice of the pilot coming over the loudspeaker. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we're going through a little bit of turbulence. And you're, oh, oh yeah, are we going to make it? But he, he knows. He knows that the rivets and the sheet metal are well-tested to handle something way worse than anything we're experiencing in those moments. He, he knows through his years of experience. Friend, as the prevailing winds of life blow against us, we need to make sure that our experience, knowledge of our God and faith doesn't show us to be rattled, but can speak at ease, quietude, so that others will realize, wow, I wish I had that sense of faith and hope that they have. That's exactly how God wants to use us. Perhaps that's why God puts us in partnership with such individuals in those storms. He wants them to witness his child in faith. So it was with Paul. He believed God and Paul could smile. While others were terror-stricken beside themselves, he could give thanks and quietly take his breakfast. Men seeing it forgot their fears and plucked up heart again and became cheerful, all because one person believed God. One person. You know, it's fine to do kindly, helpful deeds. It's one of the, the very finest things we can do in the world. Do good to all men, especially then of the household of faith. But there's something finer than the helpful hand. It's the helpful heart. It is the heart of men and women that have been made children of God that understand the settledness of God being our refuge. And that's what people need to witness. To be brave and radiant when things are darkest has an impact on everybody for that one person must believe God in order to have that response. Dear Christian, are you longing to cheer others? Hopefully that's part of your ambition. Your heart's desire is to, is to be a positive influence, but not just so that their life on earth can go better. Not just so you can be the life of the party. Not just so people will admire you and say, wow, they just have such a calmness about them. No, it is so that we can be an influence. We can be John the Baptist. We're voices in the wilderness. And it all begins by having faith in God. Make God's truth your true north when you're looking and consulting at the compass of your life. I'm going to start with this. What hath God said? Now I will adjust my compass that will then gauge what direction I choose in life based upon that. Navigate through life by such faith and let your resulting demeanor and your behavior be a Christ-like influence on those around you. Truthfully, everyone else has a compass that's spinning out of control because they have no true north. It moves about. It's based on their own whims and fancies. But we have a true God. So let's fix our compass on Him. A strong faith is the secret of all helpfulness towards other people. 
Nothing can ever take the place of that. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. So consider that there are some opposite or inverse examples of people who did not have the right kind of influence on those around them. They did not respond with the spirit of faith and trust as Paul does here or as God wants us to do. And there are grave consequences. I remind you of the book of Joshua and the story of a man named Achan who did not believe and have faith in God that it was in his best interest to leave the spoils of the city behind. That God was able to make him perfectly wealthy and to sustain his needs. He had no need of the Babylonian garments and the gold and things that he hid under his tent. Had he believed God, all those around him would have been better off. But he did not believe God. Instead, he believed his own heart. He believed his fleshly way. He took it unto himself in disregard of God's clear command to leave it alone. As a result, the armies faced grave casualties going out to war unbeknownst to them that this had taken place. His own family was punished. He also lost his life. Great casualties. Why? Because he did not exhibit the faith that God expected him to. How can we pass over this concept without considering also the prophet Jonah? A man of God, a prophet, one who proclaimed the word of God himself. That at one point in his life, as, as we meet Jonah, and we're not told the rest of his ministry, we have four simple chapters, really only to highlight that dismal part of his life. The part of his life where he doesn't have faith in God. God tells him, go to Nineveh, preach to those people. The Assyrians need to hear of my redeeming love and my mercy. Jonah kicked. He ran the opposite direction. Even when he goes, we see that his, his, his asking for forgiveness is quickly reversed when God actually does show mercy on those people. Jonah's disobedience on board that ship brought a lot of problems for those sailors. His ship-pairing story was quite different than that of Paul's, we might say. But consider some other passages where people's faith did improve the lives of others. And they're numerous, too numerous for us to name them all. But I remember in Luke 145 where Elizabeth goes to see her cousin Mary. And she says to her, Mary, blessed is she that believed, for there shall be a performance of those things which were told her from the Lord. There is a blessing. Why? Elizabeth was already being impacted by Mary's faith. She was believing what God was doing through her. She could have been skeptical. She could have denied what was happening and all that. But no, Mary embraced these things and pondered them all in her heart. I'm reminded also of the probably lesser-known story of the tribe of Judah in 2 Chronicles 20.20. Judah was being threatened to be attacked by both the Ammonites and the Moabites. The king declared a national fast, and he went to God in prayer. And the result of that was, in 2 Chronicles 20.20, 20, 
They arose early in the morning and went forth into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went forth, Jehoshaphat, the king, stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, ye inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, so shall ye be established. Believe his prophets, so shall ye prosper. Here is a man that went in prayer to God in a predicament and then came out full of faith and was able unapologetically to say, folks, what we need to do is believe in God. He will establish you. He will take care of you. So what is the lesson for us? Oh, may we in similar ways arise from our times of prayer with similar inspiring faith. It's time that we stop allowing our disposition to be affected by what we're seeing on the screen. And we allow our disposition to be affected by what's happening in the closet. As we get down and we see our God in His Word being faithful, and then we align that to our own lives and say, yes, I can see it in my own personal life. God, You have never forsaken me. You have always been there for me. You know, God is to be seen as sovereign in all our breathing moments, even when we breathe our last breath. God is sovereign. God is in charge. Romans 14, 7 says, For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. It's all about God. And that should be a comfort to us. We didn't get up and start the day, wonder, hopefully, wondering, you know, is God with me? He said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. That's why the love Psalm 23, Yea, though I walk through the valley of shadow of death. What? Say it with me. I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Let us joyfully yield our hearts to his plan. For each of us to be used as a force of faith on those around us. May God help us. Father in heaven, we thank you for the teachings of these accounts in Scripture. Lived out in the life of your children. Paul is a man like us. And yet, like us, he had to have his heart firmly rooted in your truth, your promises, believing you to be 100% reliable. When you gave direction to know that you would not lead astray, your path had a perfect way. And Lord, as we remind ourselves as the story goes on, the ship is destroyed. They're finding themselves clinging to boards, floating to shore. But as you promised, not one soul was lost. Lord, you don't always promise us easy goings. But Lord, you are always faithful to your promises. And so, Father, let us not try to conjure our concept of whether you're a good God or a bad God based on how we perceive our circumstances, but Lord, rather, may we be convinced that you are a good God 
And then may we view all of our circumstances through the lens of that truth. Lord, strengthen our faith. We believe. Help our unbelief. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If we bring this part of our service to a close, perhaps today you find yourself feeling a little bit tossed, a little bit desperate, a little bit despairing at what goes on in life. It doesn't have to be a pandemic. It could just be some of the the normal day-to-day things that are distressing. Are we going to have enough money to make it through retirement? What is this last diagnosis that the doctor told me going to mean as far as my quality of life? What's going to happen with my children that I've been praying for when the Lord takes me home to glory? What about them? There's so many different things that can preoccupy us. If we're not careful, we go away with a sense of despair rather than saying, but my God is in control. My Father plans it all. There ought to be just a sense of release, casting our cares on Him, knowing He cares for us. Friend, are are you under a heavy burden today as a believer? Are you carrying a load that God doesn't want you to carry? Believe in Him. Trust in Him. 